0: This morning, as we look in Luke 21, we're going to spend some time this morning talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Luke 21, uh, what an amazing few days it has been for the disciples. Uh, It's it's been quite phenomenal, really, how this all happened and, and what came about. In just the last few days... The disciples have witnessed the proclamation of Jesus as king. They've seen the triumphal entry and and because they were with him, they, they found themselves kind of in the middle of the swarm of people praising and singing praises to the name of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem as the king. Then as they entered in Jerusalem, they saw him take ownership of the temple as he cleared it out and he chased out those who were uh, making money off of all of those things that uh, they were doing, the buying and the selling in the temple. And he cleared it out and called it his own house. He set himself up as the ruler, as the owner of the temple. There is a growing buzz all through Jerusalem. As this Passover approaches, it's just days away. there's a buzz through Jerusalem. And for the, the disciples, that that buzz and that excitement about this year is, is particularly moving because it's filled with promise. Jesus has been talking about this Passover for well over a year to them and what was going to come and, and, and how he needed to deal with it. They haven't quite grasped it all. But now as they've seen Jesus enter in as king and the buzz and all that's going on about the Messiah and all the hope and all the promise, they're filled with excitement about what would be and what could be. As they leave Jerusalem and they head back to, to Bethany that day to, to go back to where they were staying and then they'll come back in Jerusalem again. But as they leave Bethany, they're walking out and they look back. Behind them, they see the towering monolith of the temple. It sits high above the rest of Jerusalem, gleaming white, with the trim of gold glistening in the sun and all the precious jewels that had been donated to it glowing in the sun. It was a beautiful and marvelous thing. And as they walk back and look, it says in verse 5 of Luke 21, and as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. They see it and they see the beauty of it and they're filled with the hope of what it means. Everything seemed to be coming together. Everything that they've been hoping for, everything they've been longing for, seems to be finally coming together. The beautiful temple is before their eyes. The Passover is about to come and Christ has been crowned and proclaimed as king of kings. It all seems to be working right. But then as they look back on this and they see the beauty of the temple, Jesus breaks their vision. These things, he says in verse 6, which you see... The days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. All the hope and all the the wonder of what they expected of the coming Messiah ruling in his temple and setting up his kingdom. Now, what is Jesus saying? It's going to crumble. It's going to fall apart. What's going to to happen? This isn't what they expected. they were expecting something very different but this is what had been prophesied this is what must be what must come jesus tells them this they ask questions because naturally why wouldn't you if if everything you'd been hoping for and expecting seems to be right in front of your eyes and it seems to be coming together and then the one who your hope in says no it's it's going to crash down you have questions so they ask him the questions when is this going to happen and how will we know that it's coming what signs do we have of you coming and so christ tells them and he gives them this this picture describes for them what is coming the signs of this age but this this time is going to be tumultuous it's going to be difficult it's often going to be sad in the days ahead But these are the days in which the gospel must be preached. And Jesus Christ must be proclaimed. But as he's described what will be, the characteristic or the signs of this age and what it's going to be like, now he gets to the heart of their main question. The one that started it all. The one where they look at the temple and say, what a beautiful temple. And then Jesus says, no, the temple is going to fall. Now Jesus answers this question. And about what is going to happen when he does come when he does return the destruction of the temple and the great coming of the kingdom as we will see in just a moment as we read things are going to get darker before they get brighter the trouble which jesus uses to describe this age is not the worst it will be but it will grow and grow everything so far has been about what leads up to the kingdom coming but now Jesus tells us, when you see these things, I'm on my way. When you see these things, I'm on my way. So let's read our text for this morning, which is Luke 21 and verse 20. It says here, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that, it is, that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Jerusalem flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distresses of nations with perplexities, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up. And lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into your word and see forward. We look to see the glory of your coming. Teach us, dear God, not just what you are planning, but what it means for us that we might lift our heads, be looking for your return. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we'll look at this. this. Jesus is describing when you see these things. So after all these things, he said, these are, are going to describe it. it. Says, But when you see these events, know that I'm on my way. So this morning, I have basically two thoughts we're going to surround around, in, uh, built around one sentence, which is, When destruction comes, your redemption is near. We begin here in the first portion here, verse 20 through verse 24, which talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. The destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was no stranger to siege. It was no stranger to destruction and trouble. In fact, it was only just about 500 years ago that they had started to rebuild Jerusalem from the destruction that nebuchadnezzar had brought on jerusalem and they were able to rebuild and so they have been they had that built for some four almost 500 years now herod had built his great temple on the 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 place there which is the one they saw and they they wondered at so jerusalem was no stranger to destruction and to siege but how quickly it would seem the words of jesus would come to pass We're here, when Jesus speaks these words, we're in 32, 33 AD. In just over 30 years from there, in 66 AD, Jerusalem would be in siege again. A revolt would would rise. The Jews would revolt against the Roman occupation. It was a revolt which wasn't inevitable, but many say was, well, justifiable. The Roman governor at the time was well, he was he was a worse governor than Pilate was and far more strict and far more harsh on the people of of Israel than the previous ones had been. And so he was uh, taunting the Jews, really wanting them to rebel. He taunted them so that their rebellion and their revolt could cover up his own sins, his own crimes And so the tension was building and building. And then in 70 AD, after a number of attempts and and a number of sieges that come on Israel in 70 AD, the Romans come in and level Jerusalem. Destroy it, completely knock down the temple and completely destroy all of it. Fortunately, by God's great providence, the Christians who were in Jerusalem at the time, those of the church at Jerusalem, would escape. They remembered these words of Jesus. They heard these words and they looked for it. And because they had heard it and were expecting it, when they saw the siege come on, they fled. The Christians of Jerusalem fled out and and many from Galilee and and other parts of Judea would flee to a place in Decapolis, just north on the other side of the Jordan, to a place called Pella. There they would be safe. The Christians would survive the great assault and trouble that came on Jerusalem. But when this came, when when the the Romans came in and leveled Jerusalem this time in, in 70 AD, it would plunge Jerusalem and it would plunge the whole land of Israel into foreign domination. From that time on, Jerusalem and Israel would be under foreign Gentile domination. And it is even until today which is why in verse 24 jesus speaks about the times of the gentiles and jerusalem will be trampled by the gentiles he says until the times of the gentiles are fulfilled that's our time the time of the gentiles that's where we live now paul said it this way in romans 11 when he speaks about what's going on he says for i do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's a time right now where the, Gent- where the Jews are-, are blinded to what God is doing, blinded to the works of God, because God is working predominantly with the Gentiles. After the revolt, and after Jerusalem is rebuilt, most historians note that the church at jerusalem was almost entirely gentile after this not jewish the whole place of jerusalem changed at this time became a different place it seems clearly it would seem if you were there it would seem to many that the return of christ was near the words that jesus had said seemed to be coming to pass except there were some things missing Yes, Jerusalem was, was uh, sieged and, and levelled, but there were some things that did not happen. But clearly this was the start of something. From this point on, from that point, from the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD to this very moment, there remains nothing to be done for Christ to return a second time. His return is, as we say, imminent. The key factor, though, that tells us that 70 AD, that fall in 70 AD, isn't what Jesus was talking about, is that with the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, Jesus did not come back. He did not return in 70 AD. Also, there are a number of other prophecies about Jerusalem's destruction that have yet to be fulfilled. It was only partly seen in 70 AD we saw in verse 24 it suggests that the gentile domination of jerusalem will end that clearly hasn't ended it's still going at the time of the captivity uh, at this destruction over one million jews were killed many many more were taken into captivity but that still does not compare to the devastation that is yet to come upon jerusalem the one in which Jesus speaks here. In Zechariah chapter 14, you read through the first part, we'll read through the whole of Zechariah 14, and it gives you a picture, a prophecy of what is to come. But in Zechariah 14 and verse 2, it tells us that at this destruction, all the nations of the earth will gather together at Jerusalem. Not just a couple. The world will be at Jerusalem and will be gathered against Jerusalem. It goes on to say in Zechariah that the city and the people will be ravaged, destroyed and, and ruined. And as a result, the world will be in chaos. As, uh, as the, the Antichrist tries to take control of Jerusalem and other people try and take control of Jerusalem, they're all fighting about what should happen there and who should be the ruler of the world. And the world is in chaos And while the world is in chaos and while they gather there at Jerusalem and run amok over the people of God, we're told that Jesus will return because the people of Israel will flee. Just as it says here in Luke chapter 21, it says, when you see Jerusalem besieged, run. He doesn't say fight back. He says, run so the people run and they hide in the cities, in the wilderness, and they hide in the valleys. And many of them, a great majority of them run to a place that is called in the Old Testament, Bosra. Today we know it as Petra. They will hide there. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes, he doesn't come straight to Jerusalem, but rather to every place where his people are hiding. That is where he goes. He will come from the south. And he will make his way up and he will come through Bosra. And that's why in Revelation it tells us that he comes with a garment which looks like it's dipped in blood. Because he comes to rescue his people. To put to death all those who have conquered and fled and run over his people. God will hear the cry of them. This will begin the campaign that we know as Armageddon. Christ will come. Isaiah 63 will read this for you back in the Old Testament, Prophets of Isaiah 63. The first few verses here, verse 6 says, Who is this who comes from Edom? So down from south of Jerusalem. Who is this who comes from Egypt with dyed garments from Bosra? The one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress uh, alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I have looked, but there was no one to help And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. When all is done, he will bring a new Jerusalem. But that is still to the future. One of the things that the signs that that Luke doesn't give us in much detail. We see evidence of it here, but he doesn't say. But Matthew does. Matthew tells us in Matthew, Jesus says that you will see the abomination of desolation, which Daniel spoke of. Now, the abomination of desolation, Daniel speaks of three times in his prophecy. In the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel eleven thirty-one, 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11, He speaks of what is called the abomination of desolation. In Daniel 9, he describes it like this. Then he shall confirm, and that is the Antichrist shall confirm with Israel, a covenant with many for one week. As we have studied on Wednesday night, that one week means seven years. It's a week of years, so seven years. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Daniel 11, he says it this way, and forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. So something takes place in the middle of this last season of judgment. Something happens in the middle of this last week, what we call the great tribulation. What is this abomination of desolation? Paul tells us in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, who opposes, that is the, the Antichrist again, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God that great leader in the end times, who we we know only through Scripture as the Antichrist, sets himself up in the temple and he declares himself to be God. In Revelation chapter 13, it says, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, That's the beast is the Antichrist, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So at the middle of this time, After he has said to Israel, peace, peace, he breaks his covenant. He sets himself up in the temple which he's uh, rebuilt for them and calls himself God and demands that he be worshipped. Demands that the world worship him and those who will not worship him are killed. This is what God and what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. That is, someone is stealing the glory that belongs to God. Claiming to be God, every promise this man makes to Israel is broken. He turns on them, and he turns nations on them, and he demands to be worshipped. And this is where comes what uh, what Luke here describes or records as the days of vengeance. God is a jealous God, and He will not share His glory with anyone else. No one else deserves the worship of the glory that God alone deserves and he will not allow that. Nor will he allow his promises to the people of Israel to be forgotten and trodden underfoot. So in verse 22, we're told that he will bring the days of vengeance. This days of vengeance is the same as what we often see in the Old Testament called the day of the Lord. Or the time of Jacob's trouble. We sometimes call it the tribulation. In Isaiah 63 and verse 4. It says for the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed has come. Speaks this way through Isaiah and through Micah and through Jeremiah. If you want to see more, read more about what this is like, read Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19. It describes the judgments that will come on the world. Now these two great events, the abomination of desolation and the destruction of Jerusalem, mark that Jesus' coming is very near. So he says here, disciples... When these two things are seen in the world, when you see Jerusalem under siege and being destroyed, and when you see the abomination of desolation, the days of vengeance, I am almost there. I am almost there. And so he continues in verse 25 by showing us that redemption is near and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the, power, uh, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. Here are the signs of his coming. Here are the things that, that don't just characterize an age, which tell us that he is on his way and he could come at any moment. These are the signs that when you see these, he is on his way. He is coming back. First, there is darkness. Darkness. Luke records it as this, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and the earth, stretches of nations. Not just earthquakes and famines like he's talked about before. Not just trouble and tragedy. These things we know. And yes, these things will will progress and become more and more intense as it gets closer. But when Christ comes back, he doesn't say it's just going to be earthquakes and, 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 and floods. Those things have been. They've been there all along since Christ came the first time. But before he comes the second time, the universe is plunged into utter darkness. The universe is plunged into darkness in Matthew 24, which is where Matthew records this same speech, the Olivet Discourse. Matthew records Jesus' words this way, immediately after the tribulation of those days, and that tribulation is what, uh, what Luke calls the days of vengeance. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. These are major cataclysmic events. Some suggest, as I was reading and studying on what what this means and what's going to happen, some suggest that, that what it describes here and what can clearly be demonstrated is that these are the events that would easily take place If a a meteor or an asteroid came so close to the earth that it could just slightly, only the slightest bit, change its axis and it would cause such cataclysmic events. I don't know if God really needs to do that to bring these sorts of things for that to happen. You know what is interesting to me, though, is that when Jesus describes these events, when he says the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shine and the stars will fall from heaven—that is, will be plunged into darkness—the disciples don't question it. The disciples aren't, aren't worried. They don't think, "Well, that seems very odd." Why? Because they're used to that. That's what they have have known. That's what's been told for them. In Zechariah and in the predictions of Christ's coming says in verse six it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light the lights will diminish it shall be one day which is known to the lord neither day nor night when christ is coming back he will be known he is coming back the lights of the universe will be switched out and of course with darkness comes fear This is what he describes for us here. The distresses of the nations and men's hearts failing. The first time Jesus came was humble. It was quiet. In a little village, he came to provide redemption from sin. But this time, there will be no subtle coming. His intent, the intent of Christ's second coming... Is to strike fear into the hearts of men and women. That is why he will come back the way he will. Verse 26 says, Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming. See the cataclysmic events. The 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 sun and the moon stop shining and, and the stars stop shining, the darkness that's plunged into, and all of the events that go along with it. That's not really what people are afraid of at the moment or at that time. What they know is something worse is coming. Judgment is on its way. This is what we have been trying to avoid our entire existence. Judgment of God. And so we chase other things, and we put it off, and we try and avoid and excuse ourselves from the judgment of God. But when this happens, when we finally see that Christ' coming back, we know there's nowhere to hide. Our fear is not a fear because it's dark. Our fear is a fear because Christ is coming to judge. Everyone will know it. Isaiah 13. Let me read a few verses here from you. The Old Testament prophet of Isaiah 13, beginning in verse 6, says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them they will be in pain as a woman in childbirth they will be amazed at one another their faces will be like flames behold the day of the lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it for the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, and man more than golden wedge of ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens. And the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. But when the world loses all of its light. This is when we see the great brightness of his coming. It says in verse 27, after it's described for us, the fear that comes in the darkness Verse 27 says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the darkness that God himself brings as judgment, Jesus comes blazing in glory, lighting up the entire heavens. Zechariah 14 just after it says that the the light will no longer shine he says but at the evening it shall appear it shall be light there will be nothing subtle about his second coming there will be nothing subtle about his his return revelation begins with a description of his return like this behold he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him even though they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Or as Paul describes it in Second Thessalonians, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He comes, not subtly, but blazing in glory. Perhaps the most famous passage of his return is Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, king of kings and lord of lords he comes with a robe dipped in blood from the battle he has waged against those who have defied him he comes with the armies of heaven following jesus christ are the saints of the old testament the new testament and those who have been martyred during the time of the tribulation and the hosts of angels But although he has these armies with him, all of the people of God and all the angels, not one of us will do a thing. Christ will bring the judgment himself. No angel will bring judgment. No Christian will bring judgment. No Old Testament saint. It will be Christ alone. Jesus finishes this portion here before he moves on to explain a little bit more in verse 28 and he says now when these things begin to happen look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near and all of this there is hope this is not just about the cataclysmic events. So when he says, now when these things begin to happen, he's not just talking about those cataclysmic events which we've just looked, but about all of these things from the, the time of, of all the Antichrist, these false teachers that we see through the, the trouble that we, we live in and, and all of the things that take place through these days. And then as we begin to see what takes place in the future, every one of these things, every event, every characteristic, everything that is described here should direct the people of God to look up with hope. See, we live in a world where Christ could come at any moment. He could bring his people home and then bring his judgment and his kingdom. This is the promise of the imminent return of Christ, that it could be at any moment. It could, very literally, be before we finish this morning. Sure, these days that we live in are not easy. But for the believer, they don't fill our hearts with fear. They don't cause us to have hearts failing. They move us to trust Him. They move us to long for Him. They move us to serve Him. When these events finally come to an end, when he returns in power and glory, then our redemption, our salvation is finally at hand. Everything we've waited for, the perfection and the glory of eternity, to be able to to worship and see God with all of his people from all of the ages in the eternity that he's created is finally there sin and death are finally and completely destroyed forever if you hear these things and it does fill your heart with fear maybe even as you look at society and you're already worried the truth is that you have much to fear there is much to fear The end is not glorious for everyone. The end is not heaven for everyone. For many, it's filled with terror. It's filled with judgment and it's filled with condemnation. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way for you. You can escape trouble. So you believe Jesus came the first time to save from sin. So that when he comes the second time, he comes with joy not terror. Only genuine faith in Jesus can save you from eternal punishment. As we will see in the weeks ahead, much of this turmoil that we've just spoken of this morning, the believer will escape. We won't witness much of this great turmoil here on earth. We have great reason for joy. We have great reason for hope. We also have in this time great reason to serve and to speak the gospel. Because those who do not believe the gospel in this age will be lost in the next. There is nothing apart from the Father's will keeping Christ from returning right now. So let us use our time wisely and profitably for the glory of God and for the salvation of sinners. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have taken a short glance at what will be when you return. When you finally bring to an end the great... Program that you have to bring everything back to what it ought to be. But for that to happen, there is trouble. There is judgment. And these, dear God, are truly frightening things, but we thank you that because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ, that this judgment is not ours to endure. For we are no longer children of wrath, but children of promise. Help us, dear God, to live in this promise, to proclaim this promise. So that, dear God, at your coming, there will be many around us who will be with you in glory, not judgment. We pray these things in Jesus' name.